0: Welcome to Making the Most of Time with me, Elliot Apple. I'm a financial planner and caregiver. To give you a little background, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when I was 25. Our world was changed instantly, and it's been a constant state of change ever since. Since then, I've been learning about the intersection of money, health, and loss, personally and professionally. This is a place to explore money, loss, and grief. It's about making the most of time, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. There are no taboo topics, no question is off-limits. These conversations are for people like you, people who are about to lose a significant other, widows, caregivers, and anybody affected by a major health event. I'm glad you're here. So with that, let's start making the most of time. Capital gains versus ordinary income. Do you know the difference in how they are taxed? If you're like many people, you may be wondering if recognizing long-term capital gains can affect your ordinary income taxes, or vice versa. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, long-term capital gains are stacked on top of ordinary income, but aren't sure what it means. Maybe you want to recognize capital gains or do a Roth conversion as a new widow because it's the last time you'll file your taxes married filing jointly, and there's more room in the bracket. Or maybe you have a stock with a low-cost basis that you want to sell, but you're unsure of the tax consequences. Regardless of your situation— Understanding how capital gains and ordinary income taxes affect each other are important because then you can take advantage of tax planning opportunities to reduce your taxes. Let's look at how ordinary income is taxed, how capital gains are taxed, and tax planning opportunities to use the tax code to your advantage. So how is ordinary income taxed? First, let's look at how ordinary income is taxed and then build on your knowledge with understanding how short-term and long-term capital gains are taxed. What's included in ordinary income for taxes? Ordinary income is income you earn through wages, commissions, interest from bank accounts, interest from bonds, income from a business, rents, royalties, non-qualified dividends, and short-term capital gains. It's important to note that ordinary income does include short-term capital gains, which occur when you sell an investment for a profit that you've held less than a year. For example, if you earn $250,000 from wages, $3,000 of interest from bank accounts, $15,000 of interest from bond ETFs in a brokerage account, $30,000 from rents, and $10,000 in short-term capital gains, your ordinary income would be $308,000. Let's look at how that would be taxed. The ordinary income tax bracket. The first piece of knowledge you should know is how the tax rates passed under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017 are temporary. If no action is taken before 2026, these tax rates will expire at the end of 2025, which means in 2026 we go back to the 2017 tax rates adjusted for inflation. The tax rates we have today are lower and much wider, meaning generally more income is taxed at lower rates when compared to 2017. In other words, given the same level of income, most people will find themselves paying more in taxes in 2026 than today. What you'll find is many people who are in the 22% tax bracket today may find themselves in the 25% or 28% tax bracket in 2026, and people in the 24% tax bracket may find themselves in the 28% or 33% tax bracket in 2026, again assuming similar levels of income. I mention this because there are tax planning strategies around this I'll talk about a little bit later. However, for now, let's look at how you can calculate your ordinary income taxes. So how to calculate your ordinary income tax. Continuing the example from above, let's assume you have $308,000 of ordinary income. Let's assume you have no other income, which means the $308,000 is also your gross income. Let's also assume there are no adjustments to your income, such as certain business expenses, student loan interest, or educator expenses, and that $308,000 is also your adjusted gross income, or AGI. Next, let's assume you are under age 65, and you take the standard deduction for a couple married filing jointly, which is $25,900 in 2022. That brings your taxable income to $282,100. That taxable income puts you in the 24% tax bracket, but that does not mean the full $308,000 is taxed at 24%. The tax brackets are progressive, meaning that you fill up each bracket first before each additional dollar is taxed at the next higher rate. For example, $20,550 is taxed at 10% in 2022. The income between $20,551 and $83,500 is taxed at 12%. Between $83,551 and $178,150 is taxed at 22%, and $103,949 is taxed at 24%. The estimated total federal tax is $55,897 for this level of income. If you divide that by the taxable income of $282,100, that's an effective tax rate of approximately 19.8%. Now that you understand how ordinary income taxes are calculated, let's switch gears to how capital gains are taxed. Long-term capital gains have a special carve-out within the tax code and receive preferential tax treatment. As I mentioned earlier, short-term capital gains occur when investments held less than a year are sold for a profit. They are taxed as ordinary income. Long-term capital gains occur when investment is sold for a profit that is held for more than a year. They are taxed at their own special long-term capital gains bracket, not the ordinary income tax brackets. Long-term capital gains brackets have three brackets, 0%, 15%, and 20%. Yes, you heard me correctly. You can recognize long-term capital gains and pay zero tax on them. This is the 0% long-term capital gains bracket strategy. I'll talk about this in more detail, but just know that it exists and you'll learn more about it. Depending on your income, you could be in the 0%, 15%, or 20% long-term capital gains brackets. For example, if you're married filing jointly, if you are in the 0% capital gains bracket, that means that you had taxable income of anywhere between $0 and $83,350. If you are filing single, Anywhere between $0 and $41,675 of taxable income would be in the 0% capital gains bracket. So you can see capital gains brackets are generally lower than ordinary income tax brackets. When you file taxes married filing jointly, you pay zero capital gains taxes on taxable income up to $83,350. That's a lot different than the ordinary income tax rates there. If you compare it to ordinary income tax rates, it's a bargain. Let's look at exceptions to long-term capital gains brackets and then understand if capital gains can push you into a higher tax bracket. There are exceptions to long-term capital gains brackets. For example, if you sell a primary residence and qualify for the home sale exclusion, you can exclude $250,000 of the capital gain of single, or $500,000 if you file a joint return with your spouse. Collectibles are also an exception. These include antiques, fine art, and coins, among other things that are usually taxed at 28%. If you have a rental property, you'll pay some capital gains if you have a profit when you're selling, but there is also usually depreciation recapture when you sell, and the tax rate on depreciation recapture is 25%. Otherwise investments in a brokerage account and many other investments held for more than a year will be taxed to 0%, 15%, or 20% long term capital gains brackets. Net Investment Income Another tax to be aware of with capital gains and ordinary income is the net investment income tax. Net investment income includes capital gains, short-term and long-term, dividends, qualified and non-qualified, taxable interest, rental income, royalty income, and a few other sources of income that are less common. It's a 3.8% surtax, or additional tax, on the lesser of your net investment income, or excess, of modified adjusted gross income, over $250,000 if married filing jointly, or $200,000 if single. Let's take a look at an example where the net investment income is less than the modified adjusted gross income overage. For example, if you file married filing jointly, your modified adjusted gross income is $300,000 and your net investment income is $40,000, you're over the modified adjusted gross income of $250,000 by $50,000. Since the $40,000 net investment income is less than the modified adjusted gross income overage, you'll owe the 3.8% net investment income tax on $40,000, not the $50,000 overage. Your additional net investment income tax would be $1,520, that's the 3.8% times $40,000. Next let's look at an example where your modified adjusted gross income overage is less than the net investment income, so we're going to flip this around now. If you file married filing jointly and your modified adjusted gross income is $270,000 and your net investment income is still $40,000. You are over the modified adjusted gross income of $250,000 by $20,000. Since the $20,000 modified adjusted gross income overage is less than the $40,000 net investment income, you'll owe the 3.8% net investment income tax on $20,000, not the $40,000 of net investment income. The additional net investment income tax would be $760, which is the 3.8% times $20,000. Now. Let's get to the heart of the question here. Can long-term capital gains push you into a higher ordinary income tax bracket? You may have heard the phrase long-term capital gains get stacked on top of ordinary income. So if we're looking at this, ordinary income is always going to be on the bottom, long-term capital gains are always going to be on top. And the answer is no, long-term capital gains will not push you into a higher ordinary income tax bracket. Since long-term capital gains do get stacked on top of ordinary income, recognizing long-term capital gains will not cause your ordinary income taxes to go up. However, your ordinary income can affect your long-term capital gains tax bracket. In other words, ordinary income affects long-term capital gains tax brackets but long-term capital gains do not affect your ordinary income tax brackets. It's a one-way street because ordinary income is taxed first then long-term capital gains are taxed. However, recognizing long-term capital gains can increase your adjusted gross income, which can cause more of your social security benefits to be taxable, phase out itemized deductions and some tax credits, and push you above the phase out limits to make Roth IRA contributions or deductible IRA contributions. So there are some other things that it can play with, but in general, they can't push you into a higher ordinary income tax bracket. And if you're curious, I've got a really good video on my website that talks about whether long-term capital gains can push you into a higher ordinary income tax bracket. And I use an analogy with oil and water and the little science experiment that a lot of people do as a child. I do that, but relate it to taxes. So it's a pretty fun video if you want to check it out. Now, how to calculate your long-term capital gains tax. Let's look at an example to make it clear that capital gains won't push you in a higher ordinary income tax bracket. And if you're listening, I've got some good visuals on my website, kindnessfp.com. I'd recommend checking it out because it will help to make more sense of this. Taxes are sort of hard to talk through on a podcast. And I'm going to use a simple example here, but if you want to use a calculator to estimate your capital gains tax, Smart Asset has a great capital gains tax calculator. And let's say that in this example, you file as married filing jointly with a gross income of $130,000, which is composed of $50,000 in ordinary income and $80,000 in long-term capital gains. After the standard deduction of $25,900, your taxable income works out to $204,100, That will put you in the 15% capital gains bracket, but a few interesting things to note in this example. You are in the 20% ordinary income tax bracket. Part of your long-term capital gains are taxed at 0%, so you are paying zero tax on a portion of those long-term capital gains. Part of your long-term capital gains are also being taxed at 15%. The effective tax on the next $59,000 of ordinary income is about 27% because it drives up the long-term capital gains taxes. I'm going to come back to this last point here and dive into it in a little more detail in a bit. But it's something to note that if you have a pretty low level of income, sometimes recognizing ordinary income can do some funky things to your long-term capital gains and the effective tax rate that you're paying. I'm going to try to talk through what's happening here, but I also encourage you to take a look at the visual on the website because it's a little bit bit easier to see what's happening. But the first $50,000 of ordinary income is taxed first. Then the long-term capital gains are taxed at their own rate. If you subtract the standard deduction of $25,900 from the $50,000 of ordinary income, that leaves you with $24,100 of taxable income. The first $20,550 of ordinary income is taxed at 10% or $2,055 total in tax, the next $3,550 of ordinary income is taxed at 12%, and that's about $426. So in total, you're paying about $2,481 in ordinary income taxes. Now, since your taxable income is $104,100, that puts you in the 15% long-term capital gains bracket. The first $59,250 of long-term capital gains are in the 0%, long-term capital gains bracket. In other words, there is zero tax on the first $59,250 in long-term capital gains. The next 20750000 dollars in long-term capital gains are taxed at the 15% tax rate, which is about $3,113 in long-term capital gains taxes. So in total, you're paying $2,481 in ordinary income taxes and $3,113 in long-term capital gains taxes for a total of $5,594. Your effective tax rate is about 5.4%, which you get by dividing the $5,594 into the $104,100 of taxable income. Despite being in the 12% marginal tax bracket and the 15% long-term capital gains tax bracket, your effective rate was less than 6% because a large portion of the income was from long-term capital gains and a large portion of the long-term capital gains were taxed at 0%. Now, you may still be wondering why the effective tax rate on the next $59,000 of ordinary income is 27%. We're coming back to that last point I mentioned earlier. The reason for this is because each additional dollar of ordinary income up to $59,000 is taxed at a 12% ordinary income tax rate, but it also makes the income that was being taxed at a 0% long-term capital gains bracket now 15%. Adding those together, you get a 27% effective tax rate. And there's a good visual on the website, but this is what I meant earlier by the fact that ordinary income can push you into a higher capital gains bracket, but capital gains won't push you into a higher ordinary income tax bracket. The additional ordinary income is pushing capital gains out of the 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket into the 15% tax bracket. For example, if you had $10,000 of additional ordinary income, you would pay an additional 12% of ordinary income taxes, and it would push the $59,250 of long-term capital gains taxed at 0% to $49,250. Then the $10,000 of long-term capital gains that used to be taxed at 0% would be taxed at the 15% long-term capital gains tax bracket. Doing the math, that works out to $1,200 in ordinary income taxes, that's the additional $10,000 taxed at 12%, And $1,500 in long-term capital gains taxes, that's the $10,000 that's pushed out of the 0% tax bracket to 15%. Together, that is $2,700 in additional taxes, or a 27% effective tax rate. That's the $2,700 in additional taxes divided by $10,000 of additional ordinary income. So you can see how sometimes when you have lower levels of income, if you recognize more income, can do some wonky things with your long-term capital gains and make it a higher effective rate. Now, let's talk about some tax planning strategies now that you know more about how these are taxed, so that way you can use the tax code to your benefit. The first one we're going to talk about is lifetime taxes with Roth conversions and how Roth conversions can actually reduce your lifetime taxes in certain situations. I've previously talked about the benefit of Roth conversions. I recommend going back and listening to that podcast if you haven't already or reading the blog online because I'm not going to go into the same level of detail, but I do want to show you how to think about Roth conversions and long term capital gains in retirement or in any year where you expect to be in a lower income tax bracket. First, a Roth conversion is where you move money from an IRA to a Roth IRA, pay taxes on it today, and the money in the Roth IRA can grow tax free. A Roth conversion is typically beneficial if your tax rate in the future will be higher than it is today. I'm going to pause there for a second. So if you expect to pay more in taxes later, or a higher rate, I should say, then it would be better to recognize income today, usually. Since the tax rates are lower and wider today, there are many people who would benefit from doing a Roth conversion. As I mentioned earlier, many people in the 22% tax bracket may find themselves in the 25% or 28% tax bracket in 2026. For people in the 24% tax bracket today, they may find themselves in the 28% or 33% tax bracket later. Which rate would you rather pay? I know I'd rather pay the lower rate today. Another consideration is whether you plan to need your required minimum distribution or RMD in retirement. For example, if your RMD is $80,000 in the future, but you only need $40,000 to supplement your other income, it may make sense to do a Roth conversion because it will reduce your future RMD, plus money in the Roth can grow tax-free, be distributed tax-free, and heirs can distribute it tax-free. If you become a widow this year, could be your last year to file married filing jointly. This may present an opportunity to do a Roth conversion and pay less tax compared to next year. Or, many people who retire early or take a sabbatical leave can often benefit from doing a Roth conversion in lower income years to reduce the tax they may pay later. But it's important to understand how a Roth conversion can affect your capital gains tax. So let's talk about that 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket to pay zero tax. To illustrate a simple example, let's assume you're married filing jointly, you recently retired, and you have no other income. You'll likely have interest from a bank account or dividends from a brokerage account, but let's ignore that for a moment to make the numbers easier to track. Let's say you need $150,000 annually for living expenses. Since you haven't started social security yet, because you want to optimize your benefits, you need to create cash in your brokerage account, which let's say would cause $120,000 in capital gains. You're selling very low cost basis stock you've held a really long time. If you left it at that for the year, your total income would be $120,000, and your taxable income would be $94,100. Since the first $83,350 of long-term capital gains are taxed at 0%, your tax bill is going to be pretty darn low. You'll pay about $1,613 of tax. It's really only $10,750 of long-term capital gains being taxed at 15%. The rest, again, you're paying 0% on. Another alternative is to not use the long-term capital gains bracket and do a Roth conversion instead. Now, you may be wondering, you know, why do I want to pay so little tax or why give up the 15% tax bracket? Keep in mind that tax rates are lower today and are estimated to be higher in the future. So, it may make sense to trade some of the 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket for lower ordinary income tax brackets. Let's look at the example here. So, you could trade the $109,250 of long-term capital gains taxed at 0% for a Roth conversion of $109,450 that's taxed at 10% and 12%. The reason the numbers are slightly off the $109,250 for long-term capital gains versus the $109,450 for ordinary income, is because the ordinary income tax bracket for 12% doesn't match up perfectly with the 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket. If you decide to do a Roth conversion and recognize the long-term capital gains, remember that ordinary income is taxed first, and the long-term capital gains are stacked on top. In that scenario, you could convert $109,450 in the 10% and 12% tax brackets, which would be a total tax of $9,615. Then, the capital gains would be stacked on top and taxed at 15%. What you are doing is giving up the 0% long-term capital gains rate on $109,250 of long-term capital gains to pay 10% or 12% on the Roth conversion, which can grow tax-free for your life and part of your heirs' lives, given where tax rates may be in the future, not only with them changing back to higher rates in 2026, but potentially later in life, a Roth conversion may help reduce taxes over your lifetime. If you don't want to give up the 0% long-term capital gains bracket, you could alternate years. For example, in 2022, you could focus on the 0% long-term capital gains bracket, create enough cash for this year and next, and not do a Roth conversion. Then, in 2023, you could do a Roth conversion and minimize the capital gains. In 2024, you could flip back to creating capital gains and not doing a Roth conversion. This is one method of doing a Roth conversion and hedging tax rates while still taking advantage of the 0% long-term capital gains bracket. The ideal strategy is gonna depend on your income, future income, tax rates, and many other factors, which is why it's important to do analysis at least annually. The last strategy is using a donor advised fund to reduce your taxes, and this is a strategy for people who are already charitably inclined. If you don't already give to charity, the strategy doesn't make sense for you. But let's talk about what you could do here. Making charitable contributions works really well in coordination with Roth conversions. For many people, bunching many years worth of gifts into a single year outright or contributing it to a donor advised fund is an ideal strategy. Depending on your other income and other itemized deductions. You may be able to get the tax benefit of a charitable deduction today, but can still control the timing and the amount of the grants that go to charities you select in the future. If you're planning to contribute money to a donor advised fund and want to coordinate with the zero percent capital gains bracket and Roth conversion, it's typically best to make a donor advised fund contribution in the year you do the Roth conversion, not when you're recognizing capital gains. The reason for this is because a charitable contribution is going to be more valuable when it offsets ordinary income. If you do a Roth conversion to fill up the 24% tax bracket, the charitable contribution is going to offset that income first. For example, if you contribute $10,000 to charity, that may offset a $10,000 of income, effectively saving you about $2,400 in taxes. Instead of taking the tax savings, you could decide to convert $10,000 additional dollars within the 24% tax bracket, which would allow you to get $10,000 additional dollars into the Roth growing tax-free. Making a donor-advised fund contribution may allow you to convert approximately the same amount to a Roth conversion as the contribution, and stay within that same tax bracket. For instance, if you contribute $20,000 to a donor advised fund, that may allow you to convert $20,000 additional dollars, but pay no more in taxes. It's not exactly a dollar-for-dollar dollar benefit, but an approximation. If you compare that to making donor advised fund contributions in the year you are recognizing capital gains, the charitable contribution is only going to save you taxes at a rate of 15%, For example, if you're already at the top of the 0% capital gains bracket, recognizing additional capital gains will be taxed at 15%. A donor advised fund contribution may allow you to offset the additional capital gains to bring it back to the 0% capital gains bracket. If we assume you contributed the same $10,000 as before to charity, but in a year where you are focusing on long-term capital gains only, the $10,000 contribution is going to save you approximately $1,500 in taxes. This is less than the $2,400 in savings when you're doing Roth conversions, to the top of the 24% tax bracket. Since ordinary income rates tend to be higher than long-term capital gains rates, charitable contributions and bunching contributions into a donor advised fund are more valuable to offset Roth conversions. If you decide to do Roth conversions and recognize long-term capital gains, the charitable deduction will offset the ordinary income that is taxed at a higher rate until it is fully used then it will offset the lower long-term capital gains tax rate, so if you're doing both, it will offset the ordinary income first, typically. If you are charitably inclined, it's vital to create a long-term charitable giving strategy that works in coordination with Roth conversions or recognizing long-term capital gains. Final thoughts and my question for you. Our tax system is complex. When it comes to ordinary income, it's important to remember that tax rates are progressive, meaning if you make more, not every dollar is taxed at the higher rate, only the dollar is within that bracket. When it comes to long-term capital gains, it's important to remember that there are three brackets, 0%, 15%, and 20%. Long-term capital gains are taxed at their own capital gain tax brackets and can be affected by ordinary income. When it comes to ordinary income and long-term capital gains, long-term capital gains are normally taxed at a much more favorable tax rate. While ordinary income can increase the tax you pay on long-term capital gains, long-term capital gains won't increase your ordinary income tax rate. If you think about the water and oil example from the video, if you watched it, water or the ordinary income will always go to the bottom, and long-term capital gains or oil will always rise to the top. Ordinary income or water it's always tax first. Since your income can fluctuate year to year, it's important to do a mock tax return projection each year. It can help you decide how much income to recognize and which tax planning strategies to use. I'll leave you with one question to act on. Which strategies will you use this year to reduce the taxes you pay over your lifetime? Elliot Apple is an investment advisor representative of Kindness Financial Planning, LLC. However, in hosting this podcast, Elliot is not acting as an investment advisor representative individually or on behalf of Kindness Financial Planning. The information and opinions in this podcast are for general, informational, and educational purposes only, and should not be considered investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication, and such opinions are subject to change. No representation is made as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Any past performance referenced is historical, and no guarantee of future results. All indices referenced are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. All investments involve a certain level of risk. You should carefully consider if an investment is suitable for you before making an investment. Please consult your legal, financial, and other professionals to determine what may be appropriate for you.